Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 6th of October, 2019. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Psalm 65 and brings us a message entitled, A Harvest Song. Draw your attention to the availability of the October Bulletin. And within the uh, October Bulletin there is a seven-day prayer diary. And I would want you to make sure you have the bulletin. Make sure you have this diary. It's uh, an information booklet for prayer and how we need to pray for one another and how we need to pray that God will bless his word and bless his work here in Cumber and further afield. So do take one. If you haven't got one, make sure that you don't leave today without your copy. We're turning to the Psalms and to Psalm 65. Psalm 65, and this is the word of the Lord. The psalmist writes, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one by the one who by his strength established the mountains being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout with joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. Your water, you water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges, softening it with showers, and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty. Your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. This is the word of the Lord. And thanks be to God for his word. The story is told of two elderly folk who lived in a mobile park. He was a widower and she was a widow. They'd known each other for quite a few years. One evening at one of the community suppers in the activity center, they were placed at the same table sitting opposite to one another. As the evening went on, he made a few admiring glances at her and she at him. And finally, after engaging in conversation on a variety of topics, he finally plucked up the courage to ask the question that was growing in his heart and mind. And the question was this, would you ever think of marrying me? And she answered immediately and said, yes, yes, I would and I will. And the meal ended with a few more pleasant exchanges and they went on their way to retire for the night in their respective homes. Next morning he was troubled. 
Did you say yes or did you say no? He couldn't remember. Try as he could, he just could not recall her response, not even a faint memory. And with a certain amount of trepidation, he went to the phone and called her first. And then he explained to her that he didn't remember things as well as he used to. He reviewed the lovely evening that they had spent together in each other's company. And then he gained a little more courage and he said, tell me this, did I ask you to marry me? And she said, yes, you did. And then he said, did you say yes or did you say no? And she said, I said yes, and I meant it with all my heart. And there was a little pause. And then she said, I'm glad you phoned, because for the life of me, I couldn't remember who asked me. <laughs> Sometimes we all are affected by senior moments. I remember in the church in Portadown, there was a little hatch at the corner, and one of the ladies came up and said, would you ask the people to leave their cups and saucers at the hatch? And the word thatch, match, dispatch, watch, everything went through my mind but the word hatch. We can so easily remember what we should forget and at the same time forget what we should remember. Very often in the Bible we are called to remember God's forget-me-nots are scattered throughout the pages of Holy Scripture. A pastor was visiting in an old people's home one afternoon and a resident greeted him with a cheery hello. And the pastor responded and he said, Do you know who I am? And she said, No, but if you go to the matron, she'll tell you who you are. <laughs> Harvest Thanksgiving is one of God's forget-me-nots. Harvest Thanksgiving is a timely call from heaven to be thankful. And what we teach our children and our grandchildren, we sometimes need to apply to ourselves. What are the two little words? One is please, and the other is thank you. And praise and thanks are marks of true spiritual health. Ten lepers were cleansed by Jesus, but only one came back to say, thank you. And so often grumbling can be more prominent in our lives than gratitude. Someone has said that some of God's people are like your appendix. You only notice them when they're grumbling. And so often grumbling can be prominent in our lives. The children of Israel grumbled. They complained when they should have been grateful. They grumbled about what they had and what they used to have. Fish, cucumbers, melon, leeks, onions and the garlic in Egypt, and the new sign of gratitude in their language for the mighty deliverance accomplished by God on their behalf. <clears throat> it is the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the church at Thessalonica who says, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God for you in Christ. That's demanding. That's demanding. Not the giving of thanks, but the giving of thanks in all circumstances. Matthew Henry wrote in his diary every day the happenings of the day. And he always wrote in his diary something for which he was thankful. One day he was robbed. A highwayman stopped him in the course of his journey and robbed him. And someone said, Dr. Henry, what did you put into your diary that day? He said, well, I was thankful to God for several things. I was thankful, first of all, that I was robbed and I wasn't doing the robbing. 
I was thankful that he took my money, whatever money I had, but he never took my life. And I was thankful that I have treasures in heaven that no thief on earth can ever rob me of. Giving thanks in all circumstances. How do we do that when the going is tough? Uh, when, like one of all, it would seem that all things are against us. When we feel like the children of Israel in Isaiah 49, that the Lord has forsaken me and the Lord has forgotten me. Well, Psalm 65 helps us to understand what it means to give thanks. And a casual reading of this psalm would leave you no doubt that David has a high view of God. And his convictions about the supremacy of God causes him to trace his blessings back to the heavenly throne of God in heaven. David reminds us that every good thing comes from God above. And that is the truth that often flows from the pen of the psalmist in this Old Testament hymn book. Here is a psalm that throbs with his powerful theme as the writer points to the many blessings that God pours out on his people who are in need of his help in so many ways. It's very important and it's very worthwhile and very helpful to try and grasp the context that produces this psalm and other psalms. It was written by David. And the historical setting was a festive celebration, in all probability, at the tabernacle. Probably the festival or the feast of tabernacles. The longest and the most joyful feast of all the feasts that the Jewish people were commanded by God to celebrate. After the crops were brought in and the first fruits were offered to God, the people celebrated the harvest recognizing that all their blessings came from God's hand. And this psalm was probably sung in connection with this harvest feast. Although it could also have been sung in Israel at any time, it was sung in particular with the harvest. In the same way today, this psalm should turn our hearts to God, uh, to praise Him with Humility with gratitude for his bountiful blessings. Great is the Lord, says the psalmist, and greatly to be praised. Give thanks, says the hymn writer, with a grateful heart. So let's just unpack this psalm for a, a few moments this morning as we celebrate the harvest. What is the psalmist telling us to do? Well, I think first of all he's telling us to be thankful for God's grace, to thank God for his grace. We see that in the opening four verses of the psalm. We're introduced to the psalm with a declaration of praise to God, which is the central theme that runs throughout the song. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, the city of God, or the city of Jerusalem, the place where God's people gathered for worship. And in the psalm, and in this praise song, David acknowledges that their vows or promises made to God in an earlier day, in an earlier time of need, would be fulfilled. 
In all probability, a promise made by those who lived of the land, a promise to bless and praise the Lord when the harvest was gathered in. We live in an age where many people take many things for granted. You and I can easily slip into that mindset. And it's a mindset that is foreign to the mind of Christ. Because again and again, we're called to give thanks and to praise God for his goodness. David addressed God with these words, Oh, you who hear prayer. And immediately he sets God apart from the idols of the pagan nations. Pagan gods who were deaf to the people's call for help. He acknowledges that all the people would come to him. The psalm, of course, has a prophetical prophetical significance, looking forward to that day when every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. In verse 3, we're reminded that the primary blessing for which David offered praise to God was because of God's forgiving grace. He's looking back at their past disobedience. He writes, when... Iniquities prevailed against me, you atoned for our transgressions. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. In spite of their sinful attitudes and acts of moral anarchy against God's law, God graciously removed their sin and prevented them from facing the consequences of their sin. God does answer prayer. God has made atonement through the sacrifice of his son. A sacrifice that was necessary and a sacrifice that was sufficient. A once and for all sacrifice. You see, the greatest problem in our lives this morning is not material. It's not intellectual, emotional, or physical. Our greatest problem is spiritual because our greatest problem is sin. The question may be asked, can God forgive us all our sin? And Jesus says a thousand times yes, because of his death on Calvary's cross. Well, can we sing with confidence that is rooted and grounded in the sufficiency of the finished work of Christ? My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Verse 4, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Here is a tender reference to Israel, identifying them as God's chosen people. These people that God has chosen, God's chosen ones, elect, appointed by sovereign grace to be a royal priesthood to enjoy the presence of God Almighty. And speaking on behalf of the nations, David acknowledges we shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. Great spiritual blessings flow from being in the house of the Lord in the presence of God among the gathering of his people. And so David is exhorting his readers to be joyful and to enjoy the abundant provision of God, his peace, his love, his mercy, his grace. Our God is gracious. 
His grace is greater than all our sin. That free, unmerited, unearned favor of God. The old hymn says, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left the crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Jesus paid 99% of it. No. Jesus paid it all. Payment God will not twice demand, says the old Puritan. First at my bleeding surety's hand, and then again at mine. What grace. We cannot earn it. We don't deserve it. We cannot repay it. And thank God this morning, we'll never lose it. Thank God for his grace. That's what these verses are saying to us this morning. Secondly, at this harvest time, David not only exhorts us to thank God for his grace, but also to thank God for his greatness, for his greatness. The psalmist often repeats this refrain, great is the Lord, great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised. Verse 5, David progressed in his praise to thank God for his greatness, his providential sovereignty that brings order to the world. He's the God of history, isn't he? History is his story. The God whom we worship and bring our thanks and praise to today is the God who performs awesome deeds of righteousness, reaching to the ends of the earth and the furthest sea. What a mighty God. How big is your God this morning? That's the question that's worth pondering. How great is your God this morning? His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary, known unto men. For out of his abundant riches in Jesus, he giveth, and he giveth, and he giveth again. We can never outgive the Lord. He has a storehouse that is infinite, infinite. And do how we ought to avail ourselves of it every day. God works in all the earth. And David says, he alone is the hope of his people. Verse 6, he's the God of creation. He formed the mountains, he controls the seas and their waves and calms the chaotic turmoil of the nations. His sovereignty rules over all. Do you remember when you sang and I remember it was a pop song in my young days, that dates me. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the tiny little baby in his hands. He's got you and me, brother, in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Don't worry. Don't fret. Just trust in him. He's the God of creation. He is over all, over all living and non-living. He is over all in the world in which we live. He's omnipotent. He is omnicompetent. There is nothing he cannot do. You know, God is good at everything. At a human level, that can be annoying. Certain husbands who shall be nameless are good at everything and they're in the habit of talking to my wife and their conversation doesn't help me one bit whatsoever. I remember some folk that were good at school, good at everything. They're all round individuals. And sometimes that caused a threat. But the fact that God is good at everything should not annoy us or alarm us, but comfort us. You know, news at 10, before much of the day on Saturday night, 
the news reader will say, if you don't want to know the scores, turn down the sound or look away. Sometimes we want to know the score before the match is over. We wouldn't like our team to be four up with ten minutes to go, only to be defeated 5-4. Well, be sure of this. Have no doubts. If we are in Christ, we know the score. And if we are in Christ this morning, we are on the winning team. And if we are in Christ this morning, then we should be strengthened by this great truth that God is over all. Field Marshal Montgomery, responsible for leading the British troops to a great wartime victory, is quoted to have said, defeat is out of the question. Defeat is out of the question. He is the God of creation. Verse 8, there is only one true God who is Lord over all. The old Psalter puts it like this, The Lord is keen, lift up thy voice. O earth and all you heavens rejoice. From world to world the joy shall ring. The Lord omnipotent is keen. Thank God this morning for his grace. Praise God this morning for his grace. Thank him. Praise God for his greatness. Verse 5, he causes great things. He created the world. Verse 6, he calms the nations. Verse 7, and he calls for praise. We have sung this little chorus, haven't we? How great is our God. How great is his name. How great is his love. Forever the same. He ruled back the waters of the mighty Red Sea. And he said, I'll never leave you. Put your trust in me. We had a great Silver Threads on Wednesday. We were down memory lane. I've got to that stage of life. I don't care what anybody thinks. I like going down memory lane. We sang a chorus. And when we come home, when I come home, Margaret said to me, well, how did it go? I said, it was great. Great. So I would have enjoyed it. I said, I thought I was sitting on the Coleman's mission all over again. I said, what did they sing? And I sang the chorus there. I lost it on Calvary's hill. It tumbled and tumbled until... It rolled out of sight. I was happy that night. I lost it on Calvary's Hill. And yesterday, she said to me, I can't get that song out of my head. And we're going through the house in different rooms. And then again, we'll hear the other singing, I lost it on Calvary's Hill. What a moment. What a moment. Have you lost it this morning? I lost it on Calvary's Hill. It tumbled and tumbled until it rolled out of sight. I was happy that night. I lost it on Calvary's Hill. Oh, praise God this morning. Be thankful this morning. Thank him for his grace. Thank him for his greatness. And lastly, as we close, verses 9 to 13, thank him for his goodness. The final section of the psalm focuses on the goodness of God, his bountiful provision in the promised land. David recognizes that God cared for the land. He watered it with streams and enriched it with grain. And all this occurred because God had ordained it. He even sent the showers and gentle rain to bless the crops with abundant harvest. That's what he's saying in verse 11 to 13. Carts or farm wagons overflowed because they could not contain the bountiful harvest. God's blessings even extended to the wilderness and to the hills. The meadows were clothed with the flocks and the valley was clothed with grain. 
because of those many expressions of God's goodness as people shouted for joy and sung, God is an overflowing God. You remember the chorus, my cup's full and running over. Since the Lord saved me, I am as happy as you. Tell your face sometimes that the Lord has saved you, that the Lord has met your need, that you'll never be in a lost eternity, that you'll be in heaven forever and ever and ever. What a blessing. The old hymn puts it, Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. He waters the land. He blesses the crop. He clothes the hill. He covers the meadows. He fills the valleys. Who tells us that God is dead? The psalmist pulsating with a God who is alive, with a God who is active, with a God who is adequate. It's a psalm that teaches us to be in no doubt as to why we should be thankful and praise the Lord. It says no to grumbling and yes to gratitude. It says no to worry and anxiety and yes to trust and to no sufficiency. It reminds us of what Jesus taught his disciples. Your heavenly Father knows. Remember as you go into this week, your heavenly Father knows what you have need of. And he knows the exact measurement of that need. And his timing is to perfection in meeting that need. We're told not to worry about anything, but pray about everything. Our Father, who art in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Thank God for his grace. Thank God for his goodness. Thank God for his greatness. His grace, his greatness, his goodness. Mary didn't have much of this world's goods. She was known as Hallelujah Mary. And she went to church and worshipped God and she shouted Hallelujah. She wasn't a Baptist, of course. She shouted Hallelujah. And the minister left and a new minister came and he was a bit nervous. And the shouting of Hallelujah upset him a wee bit and put him off. So he went to visit Mary. And he noticed that it was just an average little home. Not much of this world's goose. And someone told him that many a severe winter, Mary didn't have a blanket to cover. So he said, Mary, I have something for you. I said, what is it? He says, I have some blankets for you. Nice, warm, woolly blankets. Mary was delighted. He says, but Mary, I want to try and make a wee arrangement with you. He says, I, I know that my predecessor didn't mind you shouting hallelujah, but I, I'm not in for that sort of thing. And I'm wondering if you could, you know, refrain from saying it, the blankets are yours. I'll leave you to think about that. So the next Sunday, Mary was in church and the minister was in the pulpit, came to the sermon and he was exalting the Lord Jesus. He was exalting the personal work of Christ. Mary was about to say hallelujah. She thought of the winter. She thought of the blankets. She was silent. Again, he exalted the wonder, the works, and the ways of the Lord. And Mary could stick it no longer. And she shouted out, blankets are no blankets. Hallelujah. <laughs> That's what this psalm is teaching us this morning. Blankets or no blankets. <coughs> Hallelujah.
know what it's saying? Trust in the Lord. Don't despair. He is a friend so true. No matter what your troubles are, Jesus, Jesus, and only Jesus will see you through. Thank him for his grace. Thank him for his greatness. And thank him for his goodness. We thank God for his word. Now let's respond to the word of the Lord as we come to celebrate the work and worth of his son in the breaking of bread. And we're going to join in a great doxology as we come to the Lord's table. Invite all who know and love the Savior to partake of the bread and of the cup. And if you're here and you're not saved, do continue with us. But just don't feel embarrassed. Pass the bread or the wine on. But all are invited to stay and only those who are the Lord's to partake of the emblems. Now let's stand and sing.